0: the Bearcats Podcast. I'm Paul Daner, Jr., and I'm here to take you behind the curtain of UC Athletics, where we'll discuss all the topics that you see you care about, and quite a few that you really don't care about. All right, let's go. Eight seconds to go. SK dribbles into the front court. Joe Patrick pulls up from three. His shot.
1: Good! 2.5 to go! Joe Patrick buries one! Green out to Abernathy, looking for a block. He's got it. Down to the ten, the five,
0: touchdown! Bear pass. All right, welcome to the latest edition of the Inside the Hats podcast. I, of course, am Paul Daniel Jr. back with you again uh, as we run down the end of the basketball season. Uh, today, though, we got a podcast newbie is always fun. We, uh, we're going to bring in somebody new. Uh, Kevin Gohe, who recently uh, took over the job with Fox Sports Ohio as their Southwest Ohio reporter. You should know him if you follow the local cross-country scene, uh, because he is always giving you updates. No, much more than that. He's uh, beat Rider from the Post, 0107. Uh, been around here for 15 years doing this thing. Uh, and you'll be reading plenty of him talking about the Bearcats as, uh, this basketball season closes out and football comes in next year. Go, go. Great to have you on the podcast.
1: I, I, I welcome, you know, breaking this threshold. You know, it's just another thing I can take off my bucket list. I mean,
0: if this is on your bucket list, you really should revisit it. <laughs> uh, it's a really a terrible bucket list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, you know, good to have you on. Certainly, you've been you've been around here for a while. I joke about your cross country aficionado. Uh, it's just it's really sad now that you have this position with Fox Sports Ohio that I don't get my Saturday morning cross country updates, which would always fill my Twitter timeline and make me know that the weekend is officially here. It, you
1: know, I'm I'm glad uh, somebody was paying attention to them, You you know. <laughs> you know. As a former car, as a former harrier, I, I cannot you know not use that term lightly either. As a former former harrier, both in high school and in college, I've I've got a uh, you know a deep affection for the sport still. Even, even though my body does n- no longer let me uh, run.
0: <laughs> no, no, you, you you could take a bike alongside of them or something, or or a yeah. van. I believe I've heard stories of you and uh, Jay Morrison from uh, Now the Daily News*, who's. Uh, have spent times cranking out cross-country tomes from a van in the woods, basically, right? Uh, so basically, to... basically, but you have to be—it's you, you, strategic positioning. It is strategic ah. positioning
1: near the uh, finish line. You know, it's what it's all about. It's you know, it, it's just those little tricks of the trade that you learn. Don't run all over the place. Don't do more than you have to.
0: Just do your job. You've yeah. heard that somewhere before, I'm sure. I have heard that somewhere before, and a crafty veteran like you knows how to do your job from yeah. a van in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, so let's talk a little bit about UC, although, uh, you know, after what happened on Sunday, some people may turn the volume down as we do turn to the basketball team. Uh, it was, uh, the worst loss of the year, 62 to 41, UC goes down at Notre Dame. Um, now lost five of six, and the Twitter outrage uh, amongst the fan base I'm sure reflects what happens in many living rooms, but it's just the fan base is really uh, starting to turn a bit. I guess my first question is what do you make of why this is happening?
1: Well, it's something that's been building all year, but the the basis is while wow, they're inside guys, they get absolutely nothing from them, uh, offensively. Uh, and then yesterday, it was such a wide margin because they weren't doing anything defensively either. You know, they had a chance to win at UConn on Wednesday, uh, because as bad as, you know, or as little as they got offensively from their big men, uh, you know, Shekmudge was, was blocking shots. They were, uh, holding UConn to one shot and out on, on defense. A lot, in large part, because of what their defense, uh, their inside guys were doing. Yesterday, they got absolutely nothing from them on either side of the court. So it was uh, you saw Mick having just mixed match uh, lineups trying to get anything from anybody. Um, you know, so I, I think that's the, the the biggest thing that's that's really hurting them right now.
0: Yeah, it, it, you mean we even saw Shaq Thomas was in at one point was playing the five. Mm-hmm. Just because he was you know going full court press searching for any sort of answer for somebody that can that can do something because it just there was nothing there i mean i you know you had i believe between all everybody in the five position only you got four or five rebounds you know no po- you're certainly you're rarely getting points you're not getting any block shots no deflections which is a, a rarity for them mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it it's okay it's okay if you're not gonna score much from the five, but they better be dominant defensively. And like you said against Yukon, uh, you know, Sheckwood was altering everything, you know, they, they were really getting having an impact from that position. But yeah, the, the lack of the impact from there was tough and Nick talked about it after the game, just saying, you know, it's just not there. We just we just didn't couldn't get anything from that position and it really was was killing them. Uh so now I mean the question the question certainly at this point now becomes how do you fix this? You've got three games left here in your regular season. Uh, you're going to have a, a what is turning into now a monster game at home, a return game from Connecticut on Saturday at 2 p.m. Then you turn around with a quick Monday game at Louisville. Uh, it'll be UC's first trip to the Yum Center, actually. They hadn't gone there since they opened it a few years back. Uh, they were one of the last teams to close Freedom Hall, but they that game on Monday. And then you host a terrible USF team on senior night on March 9th. The USF looks, I mean, that should be a win, even, even as poorly as UC's been playing. USF has just been a disaster. They're 1-13. I mean, you've you you got to try and you've got to get a win in here somewhere if, if, just to get the mojo going in the right, du- right direction, because it seems like just the momentum and the walls feel like when you hear comments like Sean Kilpatrick had after the game when he said, you know, I, it feels like the season's going down the drain and we're letting it, you, you know, the pressure is starting to mount. I mean, how, how much do you think that, that, that the pressure is now is now starting to really take effect?
1: Oh, I I think they feel it because they put pressure on themselves at the beginning of the year. They they had a lot of confidence and I think rightfully so. They had a lot of confidence going in. You look at, you know, who they uh, had coming back off of last year's team. Uh, right. I think they were sure. they were justifiably confident. Uh and, and they simply haven't played well and teams have figured them out. This, yeah. At this point, you know, it's like, "Hey, Let's guard their, you know, we're gonna, uh, guard on Jacqueline Parker, on Sean Kilpatrick, you know, on Cashmere on Wright,
0: who, who's
1: obviously not 100% yes. at, at this point, uh, but he's, he's toughing things out, but, you know, he didn't score yesterday either. So it's, um teams, that, that pressure is there for them because, you know, Teams have really have really figured them out, and and now it's up to them to make the old uh, adjustment
0: city adjustments, if you will. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was you know another thing that Mick was talking about in the post game was teams are not respecting them around the rim at all. Nobody's really bothers when when anybody from UC really drives to the lane or the ball goes in there. Nobody's dropping off to help or try and contend around the rim because they don't really respect UC's ability to finish in there because they've struggled so much getting points in the lane. Nobody ever leaves Sean Kilpatrick, and nobody ever leaves Tadmere Wright. They're never left open because mm-hmm. of people penetrating, and it, it makes it very difficult when you can't finish in those situations to do much of anything. And, you know, you combine that yesterday with, every, with everything else that was going wrong. And, and you get how that—that's how that can happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is already not a great shooting team uh, as it is, but they shoot and they get after the board, and that's how they get their points. They—they out hustle you. They—they'll bang you around, uh, and they'll do all that dirty little stuff. Well, yesterday, Notre Dame out dirtied them all over the place. You know, they—they—they they, they were the ones controlling the boards, didn't give up the offensive rebounds, and when you look at the you know the assist stats, and I, and I realize UC's offense is not set up where they're going to necessarily have a lot of assists. But the the number of assists that Notre Dame ended up and the disproportionate numbers uh, between the two teams really indicated that Notre Dame was able to run its offense unmolested, you know, basically did what they want to do uh, while UC simply couldn't. You know, you can only only play so much one-on-one and and isolation basketball.
0: Yeah, five assists yesterday for the Bearcats on 17 buckets compared to 18 on 22. For Notre Dame, you probably couldn't have two different teams as far as the way they run offense in the conference. Notre Dame has their passing culture where – they're just, from the moment they get there, the guys they recruit are great passers. They teach them to be elite passers when they get there. It's stressed every game. This is how we play. That's what they do. UC, admittedly from Big Cronin, doesn't have a great passing team this year. They just don't. They have in years past. Those guys are not there right now. And right. Uh, that's been a big part of the problem. You're right. But when, when you don't crash the boards enough, you know you only get, you see Miss uh, missed almost, they missed almost 40 shots yesterday and only got eight offensive rebounds. That is a awful percentage for a team that sure. is amongst the top three in the conference in offensive rebounding percentage. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, when we talk about when you talk about UC not really having kind of passing culture,
1: again, you have to, uh, have to look at they don't have guys to pass to when you in the inside. You, yeah. you can throw it in there, but again, it goes back to so it all it all just you know built upon itself.
0: Yeah. And this is, and, and it gets, you know, I, I want to move past this Notre Dame game, and I want to kind of, I want to kind of talk about the bigger picture here, which is, you know, a lot of people, particularly the angry Twitterati, uh, <laughs> are. All I see is NIT bound and yada yada yada. Everybody's people need to understand um, because of the big picture of of what has happened this year. UC is not on the bubble yet. I mean, they're they're not. They're they're in, on the eight nine line, and almost everybody's bracket projections. What they've done, their resume it it, it is a it is a weak year, if per on the bubble as far as college basketball goes. There are a lot of very mediocre teams that are down there. No, Yeah, absolutely. Nothing. I agree. I agree with you. Now, now, you know, and I, I wrote a bit about this today on the blog. So obviously. Uh, you know at this point where to go for the blog if you're listening to this, but, um, you know, they are one win away from getting 20 wins in the Big East. In the last five years, 44 teams have had 20 wins in the Big East. Only two did not make the tournament, and both of those had prob- had about one of the one or two worst out-of-conference schedules of anybody uh, in the Big East. That was Seton Hall in 2012 and South Florida in 2010. Neither of those teams made it in because they didn't play anybody in the non-conference. UC had a great non-conference schedule. Their RPI's mm-hmm. the schedule together like 30. I mean, it's one of the better ones in the country. They're about to have 20 wins, you figure. Um, yes. That's pretty much a golden ticket in their tournament. It is. <laughs> um, so to, for people to be freaking out about not making the dance, I think, is a bit premature. Now, if this slide continues and you can't find a way to stop it and hedge momentum, you're concerned. But as far as bubble time, I think you are thinking about it. It's certainly on your mind because you're nervous about the trend, but they are not there yet, in my eyes. Do you view it that same way? I, I, I agree. I
1: mean, they're, they've obviously slipped closer to it. But, you know, now if you're talking about if they – Lose their last three and then lose their, uh, Big East tournament opener. Right. Yeah, I think, then, then I think you're talking, about, um but I think you get that 20 win threshold, yeah, with the games you have played, the, the teams you have beaten, uh, you gotta realize, you know, they've really got one really, really bad loss. And that's Providence.
0: And, and even Providence, if, that, yeah. if you look, that came on a run where Providence ran off about Four out of their four out of right. five
1: or five out of six. Yeah, including they beat Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame through that stretch. So I mean, and right now Providence is 81 in the RPI. So in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the, as you said, the big picture, the whole season, the whole resume, is, uh, as they like to say, they're they're certainly not as bad as as some people want to make them out to be. Are they as good as everybody thought they were going to be or, or hoped to? No, but no. they've certainly got their opportunities here. Again, UConn at home, at Louisville, you know, one win uh, between those two games, particularly if it's at Louisville, you know, and all of a sudden, wow, you 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 start feeling good about this team again. And and I don't think that that – I want not say that they're that far off, but, you know, they – you know, it's not like they've been blown out of a lot of these games, aside from yesterday. You know, they, they yeah, haven't really been very, blown out of those games.
0: Yeah, this was – and boy – you go back and look. Cause I remember in 2010 making the the lovely trip to beautiful South Bend,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: which it's just a it's just quite a place. Uh, and that was a game that 20 2010 team had Lance Stevenson, uh, and they had really kind of struggled to put their talent together. It went to Notre Dame and just got throttled in every way, shape, or form. Lost 83 to 65. Uh, and if you look at the games that UC has played against Notre Dame away from 5th, 3rd Arena, it's just something about Notre Dame just does it to them. They lost by 18 up there in that game. They lost by 37 in the Big East tournament to them uh, two years ago, Uh, Mm -hmm. a tournament where they went in and then they beat Missouri in the first round and then lost to UConn. Uh, They lost by 8 up there, and now they lose again in one of their worst games, the fewest points they've scored since 93. It's just something about playing Notre Dame when they're not at home, at least during this sort of, during Mick Cronin's reincarnation here, has just been bad. And, you know, you can chalk it up to these things can happen. And like you said, one win can really change things. But they do need, you know, they do need to figure out a way to finish the close games, which has been the biggest problem is these last four or five minutes. The, they have not been able to generate the offense that they have during the other 35 minutes of the game. Yeah. Um, is that, I mean, do you, do you. I think in my opinion, a lot of that goes back to the health of Cashmere. right? The last five minutes you depend on your stars, your stars need to make plays, and so how he's struggling off with his, it, obviously with his injury, I think is a big part of it. Uh, do you think that, that it goes directly back to that, or do you think there's more to it than that?
1: I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, you know, and again, I, I, I look back, when you're Running an offense like they do, um, and you can't consistently get that dribble penetration. You know, are you gonna, right now, the, Daquan Parker is the one guy who is consistently beating people off the dribble and making his own shots or creating something to kick out to somebody else. Well, you can't do that every single play. And that's yeah. almost, you know, they're, they're just so hamstrung by the lack of a inside presence of, yeah. of anything. And I, I look back at last year, and you remember how you know people uh, just loved to just bang on Yancey Gates, and he didn't do this, and Yancey wasn't perfect, but, my God, he looks
0: like gold now, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a, well, and really, he was the difference for this team when they played great down the stretch and made their sweet 16 run. It was because Yancy became an animal in there. I mean, yeah. he, was, he really played, the best basketball he played at UC was probably the last month of of his senior year, you know, not surprisingly so, but I mean, it was, and he was the difference between this team going from good to the great team that they were uh, at the end of last year. Now, as far as how you fix it now, uh, you know, I heard, uh, you know, Dan Horde was talking about this on the radio broadcast yesterday, Mo reiterated it today on his blog, the concept of you know, people complain about them shooting too many threes, but at some point you have to do what you do well. You may be living and dying by the three, but do that better than you shoot inside. You know, if you're not going to score in there, going inside is a turnover. So maybe they need right. to just be, be a three-point shooting team and have that be your thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some days they'll go down, some nights they won't, but at least some nights they'll go down. Uh, yeah. And that's the way it's got to be. Maybe maybe there needs to be more three-point shooting who knows? They've got a week, a long week it will be, of practice to think about it. And I don't know, you know, we'll, I wanna, I'm curious to talk to Nick this week. Is it a deal where he needs to be, lighten the mood and take the pressure off? You know, Coach Cow's playing dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> <Is it time? laughs> Absolutely. Is it, is it time for a kickball game? You know, <laughs> whatever it is, something, it, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be a test because uh, it seems that the players are starting to feel it. A little bit more than they have before. I want to move past basketball, uh, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the NFL Combine, because you were up mm-hmm. there. Uh, you went up to Indy. You spoke with uh, George Wynn and, and Travis Kelsey, who were up there as well. Timber yes. Tompkins is up there. Walter Stewart. All four of those Bearcats were invited. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, it sounds like, are looking like they're going to be selected. Walter Stewart, the most fascinating case, maybe in the entire draft, not just amongst UC's players. But the first one off the board is almost uh for sure going to be travis kelsey oh
1: uh, there's no doubt about that and uh travis right now he's uh he uh so he he is not um competing or doing drills this week obviously he's got he hurt uh, himself yeah yeah he he hurt himself during the um but I think his stock has risen so much and there's a couple different factors uh. In that obviously his play, his, uh, this past year really rose. And, you know, nothing better, my god, if you want to send off, you couldn't get a better send off than his final, than that final play, uh, in the Belt Bowl against Duke. Right. Um
0: you, you know, for the Belt Bowl, what, tell, me, you know, what, tell me about the, I want to hear, what was what was he like after that game? When I mean, when you when you go off like that, there's a very few feelings like it. What was it like? What was Travis like after that game? So, I
1: think in a little way he was still stunned when I by the time I got to talk to him and he was still stunned. It was, you know, a half hour after the game had ended, um between all the commotion and getting everything else. He just said, you know, look, it was a simple it was a route down, down the seam. They're shocked that they were that he that he was wide open, he goes, But I turned around and all of a sudden the ball was right there and it was just just catch it and go and i i think he was still shocked over it um you know he was he <laughs> but and you know Travis he's he's not a you know he he could be uh boisterous and all that but i, I found him to be given that given this uh what had happened he was still just kind of subdued about it in that sense obviously very euphoric from a team aspect and night and i think that's one thing that i got from uh from both him and George talking this week uh talking to them on Friday, was they were playing up an awful lot during their interview process with teams. And as they go through this, they're going to play up an awful lot how that team closed out that game, given the circumstances. Yeah. You know, with, with, with just five uh, of your coaches from from that coaching staff
0: mm-hmm. still around. And
1: everything they had to do. I mean, Walter Stewart was, was uh, helping Helping coach <laughs> in that game, so I think that's something that they're going to uh, press upon teams. I think that's going to help them, um, and I think it really could be interesting, particularly with a guy like George Wynn. George yeah. has basically got one year of film on him. He's a guy who who uh, waited around, uh, had to bite his time while you know because you had Isaiah Pete there.
0: Right? Yeah,
1: but in his junior year when he got opportunities, George. Uh, Shined. He obviously did that in the uh, Liberty Bowl against Vanderbilt, and it's something where he even talked about. I find this interesting that after his first year or so, he was he was contemplating leaving UC. Was well, he? Because yeah. he because he was so you know he was like I don't know if I can wait around, but he you know realized that I can I can get on with special teams. I've got a place here. I've got a role here and even if it's behind Isaiah right now, I'm going to get my time. Well, he really maximized, I think, his, his senior year.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't think anybody thought that George was going to do what he did. People were wondering about the running back position and thinking about the mm-hmm. three-headed monster they had to do, and Jamel Poteet, um, who unfortunately now it sounds like he's is is transferring – he um, came in. He was a, he was a four-star recruit. People thought he was going to be taking over, and, and no, nope, then people said, "Well, maybe George wouldn't want him to get a chance." But you couldn't keep him off the field. He was too good. I remember yeah. talking to OC Mike Mike Bajekian, former OC uh, about George. It was after last season, and he just he just couldn't say enough good things, even though he had never really had a chance to prove it. Um, you know, he he was, had only had the Vanderbilt carry. Uh, and and we didn't know much else. He said, I just love George Wynn. I love the way he plays, Mm -hmm. and and I really feel like he can be somebody great. And at the time you hear that and you think, okay, well, sure, you have to say that. But from the guys on the inside, it was abundantly clear that he really could play. I was reading up on some of the things that Mel Kuyper said about him, and uh, here's some numbers from George at the Combine. He had a four seven five forty, which isn't bad for a guy who's as big as George is at about 220 pounds. Um, yeah. 22 reps. He had a 34 and a half inch vert though, uh, which is pretty out of control. Uh, yeah, but you know they're they're projecting right now mid rounds. Mel says five or six, and believes that would be a steal if they got him in five or six. They kind of compared him as like a Tashard choice, is sort of a maybe his NFL comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because of the fact that he hasn't had a ton of. Of game film out there on him, and what he has shown is so great. I think his upside is as much as, as almost any running back in this draft. And when everybody's looking for the next Alfred Morris in round five or six, boy, George Wynn could really be that guy.
1: Yeah. Another thing he he talked about, obviously, uh, with the NFL, when you now that you're getting uh, more and more teams, you know, looking at that at the uh, read option play. Well. Yeah. With UC having run it, and he said that's one thing teams were asking him about was, hey, how did you do in pass pro when you were – what kind of blocking teams did you guys do in it? He's got experience in that, and, again, I go back to the, to the point there where he was – he bided his time uh, before, before getting his opportunity, so he did all those little things like special teams. He understands going into the NFL, he's going to have to do the same thing he's not gonna be he's not gonna be this first round guy, and yeah his his four seven five um was less than what he won. he was very optimistic he was gonna run uh around a four or five or so uh that obviously didn't come. but as you said I, I think you go back and you look at the tape and look at everything what he has done um you know he certainly ran away from enough people uh this year
0: you know yeah yeah i mean i I think his role is not necessarily going to be uh, you know, an explosive, break the game open type of guy. I mean he's not gonna be Ralph David Abernathy. He's he is more of a grinder, he is more of a doing the little things right type of guy. And and you know you know, and that and that can succeed. And and it's and like you said, it's not like he can't pull away from guys. He's done it before. Um, but I, I think his role would be a little bit different. Uh real real quick back to Kelsey because I wanna mention something. You know, an NFL NFL network, you go to their site, they have of course, ridiculous coverage of every prospect on there. You can read up about them, what they say. They had Travis Kelsey's NFL comparison as Rob Gronkowski. I saw that, and I
1: actually, I, I, you know, what was funny about that? I, I love, in their, they, they, um, they have, an, you know, they, as you said, they, they do crazy analysis on us, and they got his strength and his weaknesses, and like mm-hmm. one of the weaknesses, he's um, doesn't have blazing speed, not tremendously explosive. Athlete doesn't come out of his breaks all that well, and then his NFL comparison is Rob Gronkowski. Well, you know, <laughs> obviously the weaknesses aren't, aren't that aren't that big. You know, <laughs> they, they yeah, anybody obviously? I, you
0: know what? I, I disagreed with that analysis because I read that too, and you should do, because you were at the bell pole. Anybody that saw him pulling away from Duke's DBs on that oh, yeah. run should not be questioning his uh, his high end speed. Uh, I mean, I think he's very clearly got that. I mean, I remember multiple games watching him pull away from DBs all year. He is he is a, a, an incredible athlete. Uh, so I, I think I, I agree with a lot of things they said there, um, but I think the fact that questioning his high-end speed yeah. didn't make much sense to me. I mean, you know, this it's crazy how college football works and that UC seems to be like any other place where we've seen these now, these big senior years that have really catapulted guys. Uh, Derek Wolfe had it last year. Mm-hmm. He went from off the radar to, uh, to the you know the 36 overall pick by the Broncos. Very similar rise of Kelsey this year. Uh, yeah, and, you know it. it it's true. Really, never know, and we didn't. You know, we're not even going to get into Walter Stewart, who you know you could dedicate a whole show to his case, which is just uh, very. I, it, that, I think that again, like
1: he Walter's really going to be an interesting uh, prospect. You know. One of the things the, the main thing that that comes out of the combine, forget all the you know the drills and you know those are you know guys will work on those, they've trained specifically for those, but I think the biggest thing that comes out is um the two things are the medical and the and the interviews, and uh, you know what comes out of uh, Walter's medical is going to be huge for him.
0: Yeah, that was the biggest reason he wanted to get into the combine. Sure, uh, that he trained for it was so he could get all the doctors to look at him and get Mm -hmm. opinions on his case because you know he just can't get enough information on his case because it is so unique. I mean, and it is a risk. uh, Even if even if enough doctors clear him, it is a risk for him to go out there because there are some doctors that believe that he should not be playing that his chance of serious harm uh, is pretty high. So you know, we will see exactly what happens, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, another, should be another good draft for the Bearcats when you yeah. have four guys there alone and we haven't even gotten to the pro day. Remember, nobody talked about Adrian Robinson last year until he ran freakish numbers at the pro day inside the bubble. And all of a right. sudden everybody was, you know, intrigued. He ran a 4 5 one which is insane for a tight end. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there he was, Giants fourth round, here we go. So we may even see another guy come on come off the radar a little bit for UC, but it should be a fun draft. Sure. And there will be plenty of time to analyze every detail. Oh, every, every um, little bit. You, you,
1: no you, did, you did mention this, and uh, you kind of alluded to it, but I I've, one of the things I think that's really going to help Kelsey in this is that, and you mentioned Derek Wolf, but if you look at, uh, at, his, at Kelsey's own brother, Jason, as, as, as another example, yeah. and 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 Brett Selleck. these are guys. They're examples of guys who maybe under the radar, under the radar, and but they're just kind of peaking right now. They may not been the, the 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 premier guys coming out of high school, but they really are peaking right now. And I think that's really that bodes well. Uh, to uh, steal a Justin Smith phrase, one of my favorite Justin Smith phrases, um, just, but it bodes well a lot of good for.
0: Phrases yeah
1: he he does you know he's uh you know again that's going back to the the old Bengal days, but i always always enjoyed uh Google sit down with Justin. he was uh wasn't very expansive per se but uh be honest
0: <laughs> he was honest now so so here's the here's the even greater news is that and now you're uh you know, you're gonna be going all all different places. It's a lot of new places in your new job here that little Tacillo can get a, a view of for the first time that he's never <laughs> been to before. He hasn't, out. for he has yeah for for most for those that, that don't know, uh Little Tackyo is a little small give me the origins of the Little Tekillo bobblehead and how it it does go with you everywhere and pretty much every uh every location you go, it's you and little Tekyo in some sort of photo. Uh, Which is usually very uh hilarious. So yeah, well, how did this
1: start? It, it started now. Tio Spikes, uh, when he was with the Bengals, uh, he was a not just a fan favorite, but he was a scribe favorite. Boy, he was he was he was a good talker. He was honest about it, and you know, obviously one heck of a player. He's still playing, <laughs> so he's he's obviously you know uh was worth his, his time. And well. When he left to go to Buffalo, left the Bengals as a free agent, went to Buffalo, uh, our, our good friend from the Associated Press, uh, the great Joe Kay. Great. Happened to be around, I, and I don't know, I think, I believe it was a Dick's sporting goods, but he found in this little, like, dollar bin or something, you know, a, a huge Markov bin, a bunch of little taquitos, spikes, bobbleheads, amongst other knickknacks. And these are, you know, two to three inch high bobbleheads. So he came around. He bottled like five or six of them. gave gave them to all the other uh, guys who were covering the Bengals at the time. Kind of our own way of memorizing, uh, you know, memorializing uh, Takiyo. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure what everybody else has done with theirs, but the, but little Takiyo, as I've done, little dog is um, he's been with me to many, many different places. I've the four Super Bowls I've covered to, you know, from state swimming in, uh, in Canton, uh, to the state track and field meet. I, uh, you know, I had him, he, he went with me to the combine. In fact, got a nice little picture up on one of the podiums there with him this <laughs> past week. Uh, I've, I've truly enjoyed, uh, I, I think my favorite though is still of him. And I've actually got a, uh, I got a little another gnome that Joe found. Um, it was a, it was actually a Bengals gnome. That has this beard that curiously makes him look like Doma Topeco.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I have the I
1: have the two I have both of them on the floor of the uh, of Lucas Oil Stadium following last year's Super Bowl in Indianapolis with all the confetti and everything else around. And I got down on the floor and I actually you know took a shot of them and I uh, so I have used them. And as you know, because you were there this past year, the Bengals played the Chargers. We had uh, the chance to have Tequio on the conference call, and this was the first time I got to uh, reveal to him that I actually have it, and I was quite scared with this. Uh, I was I'm not really sure how he was going to take it, you know, it's like, you know, it's a sense of admiration, or is this guy just really whacked out, you know, which, as we all know, the truth always lies somewhere in between. <laughs> somewhere in
0: the middle there, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hopefully it's a little more on the admiration side and not just, you know, uh, you know whacked out. <laughs>
0: Well, he did didn't didn't he? Uh, he wanted more pictures, didn't you sent him a few. He pictures did. I am I'm in
1: the, I am in the process of uh, I did send him a few. Maybe about not quite ten, and he he got a he got a true kick out of them. Uh, and he <laughs> and I need to send him more. I'm in, I'm in the process of cata, uh, cataloging them properly. You
0: know, uh,
1: look, he has been to the Caribbean. He's been to Puerto Rico with me. Uh, International uh,
0: traveler. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, I certainly, uh, I hope Little Taquio was here maybe enjoying. Uh, this is the first podcast that Little Takiyo has probably been around. I imagine I'm sure he was taking it in as well.
1: Yes, he, he's actually right there. and just uh, can't get enough. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, go, go. I know I look forward to uh, to many uh, pre-game, pregame dinners and, uh, and uh, you know, many Bearcats tilts that you'll be taking in and covering now that you're uh, with Fox Sports, pumped about it. And yep. uh you know, certainly everybody, Fox Sports Ohio uh is where you want to go for the website and you can uh see all of the stuff that uh Kevin's writing there yep. and uh the, you just recently had to do the Twitter address change. Uh so what is, what is your Twitter address exactly now? The the new Twitter address is uh at FS Ohio.
1: You know what, actually. <laughs> so underscore K
0: Goheen, right?
1: Underscore K Goheen, yeah. yeah. I gotta right. make sure I've got myself correct here.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's hard. The Twitter, the the, the Twitter name changes. It can be difficult to, uh, to to remember it all exactly when you're you're so used to the same thing forever. But you can make sure you uh, follow him on yep. Twitter. Uh, read them at Fox Sports Ohio. I have all your uh, coverage of everything Southwest Ohio, not just beercast. Yep. Uh for uh, ever hopefully. So uh, anyway, go go. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.